The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of Provoke, and I'm joined here in London or thereabouts by Mitch Kay, the founder and CEO of consumer PR agency, The Academy. Mitch started his agency life at Shine, where he rose to be a board director before leaving to found Mischief and then co-founding the Academy with Dan Glover. So he's now been at the top of three of the most award-winning consumer agencies on the London PR scene, and yet somehow still looks fresh as a daisy. Mitch, welcome. That's very kind. I, I, I can't believe the introduction you've just given me, so thank you. I'm, I'm, <laughs> over, I'm chuffed with that. Um, you're very welcome. How are things going at the Academy? We've written recently about some really nice new accounts you've picked up. Yeah, they're going well. Uh, we're in a good place. Uh, it's been a, a really, really strong start to the year. Uh, last year was good, uh, not without its challenges and the year before the same, but we're feeling good. We're, we're, we're in a good moment. We've got good momentum. Uh, and as ever, it's never dull. There's lots to do, but uh, happy so far. Good. All right. That's a good start. So 2022 is well underway. Um, looking ahead, I know we've got plenty of uncertainty coming up. What do you think your big opportunities and big challenges are this year? Uh, I think the big challenges are uh, always people related. Uh, I think it's about um, recruiting the best talent, always the hardest part of the job. Uh, I think it's about making sure that lots of the new hires that we've made in the last year are integrated really well into the company. Mm. Um, when you make lots of hires, you need to work hard to look at your own culture to make sure that your identity as a group of people is strong. Um, otherwise, you're in danger of um, having the right headcount, but having a load of people wandering around who don't know each other, who don't know the company, who don't share the same ideals. So you have to work really, really hard I think, to, to bed in those people. Uh, I think hybrid working is uh, so good in so many ways, but does, does present some challenges too, certainly in terms of culture, and I'm sure everyone's having the same challenges. Um, and I think probably coming out of what we've been in, in the last couple of years, I think is a challenge, but also an opportunity. And, and certainly we've seen that um, with so many of our clients and some of the, the, the more recent wins too. There's a real appetite, I think, to to push on and, and, and do great work. And that's music to our ears. So how many of you are there now? 58 of us as of today. Oh gosh, that's like, you've really grown. Yeah, we have. I think we were 45, 50, I think we were 45 at the beginning of the pandemic. So we've definitely grown from March, 2020. I think that was the case. So you're not, you're not like a little boutique consumer shop anymore. I guess not. I don't know when little becomes medium or when new becomes established, but uh, it does feel like we had a company meeting last week and we were all in the boardroom and it, and it was standing room only at the back. And I, I remember looking around at the beginning thinking, there's definitely more people here than there used to be. Uh, when we could, there, was a, there was a moment where we could all sit down comfortably. So uh, it feels good. There's good energy. Um, but no, we're not small. Um, I think we've never seen ourselves as a small company or as a as a startup, we've always tried to have the ambition to be more quicker, but now I guess the numbers back that up. So tell me a bit more, but you mentioned kind of the challenges of maintaining the culture, particularly when you're bedding in, in new people. How have you done that? Well, I think 
you tried, we, we've tried to um, get the balance between giving people the best of what they had during the pandemic versus what we think is right for people moving forward and right for the business too. So for example, if you look back at that period of time when we were all working remotely, I think there were loads of positives from that. I think it was good for people's sense of balance. I think it was good for people's autonomy over their time. They had choice, they had options. Um, if you go back to being five days a week, for example, um, you lose so much of that autonomy. You lose so much of that kind of dynamic. Um, but if you don't get people back in the office, you lose culture. You lose that human interaction that, frankly, makes the job way more fun and, and, and much more effective. So you've got to try and get the balance right. And I'll give you an example. We, we began by saying to people, come back three days a week. Um, which we felt was important because it means you're more in than out, but come back on a Monday so that everyone was in together on a Monday and then they could choose two other days. And actually that didn't work very well because what was happening was people were coming back in on a Monday and they were spending all day on Zoom, mm. catching up with clients at the beginning of the week or having team calls and actually no one saw each other. So we've, we've changed that now to a Tuesday and a Thursday. And what happens now is that on a Tuesday and a Thursday, we begin by having breakfast on a Tuesday, we end by having a drink together on a Thursday and they're much nicer days to be, to be in and people can actually enjoy being around each other and not spend the whole day in a meeting room on, on a Zoom call. So just tweaking the, the, the structure to make sure that people get the most out of being together, I think is really important. And also, I think reevaluating the role of an office. What do, we, what do we want an office to bring us? What do we need people to achieve when they're here? And actually, when it comes down to it, you want people to have fun and enjoy being around each other and find energy collectively. And you've got to have the right day and the right setup to do that, whilst also keeping trust, flexibility, um, autonomy for people to make good decisions about the best place to work on other days of the week. That's a really interesting challenge, isn't it? Balancing all that out, depending on you know, what your agency culture is and what your team wants and need and how to get the best out of them. Because there's no, I mean, there's no, the rule book's been thrown out the window now, hasn't it? So it's, it's, there's, there's not really a, uh, there's not really a standard model as far as I can tell anymore in PR. No, I think that's right. I think everyone's doing something different. Um, I think uh, there's a, I think that where it gets really tricky is that sometimes if you ask people what they want, it's not always the same as what is good for them in their careers. So people may want more time to work from home and I understand why. And I think in some ways it's good, but equally, if you are an account exec or a senior account exec or an account manager or whoever you might be, you learn more in the office than you do at home. Mm. And to, to make sure that our teams continue to learn and grow and develop, they have to be together. <clears throat> Pardon me. They have, to, they have to be in the office. They have to be with each other. So there's a balance between overindulging what people want, but equally, you never want to ignore what people want or how they feel because that's not going to work. And I think you have to try and achieve a balance. You can only do that by talking to people, by listening and by trying to find a compromise. It's a bit like parenting, isn't it? It's, it's, it's almost as difficult, yeah. <laughs> um, I know your MD, Chris Hyde, joined you a year ago. How is he settling in? He is doing absolutely brilliantly. Um, he is everything that we hoped he would be when we hired him and so much more. He's probably the toughest hire I've ever made. 
It took months and months and months to persuade him to join, not helped by the fact that we were in lockdown at the time. So it wasn't an easy process. Uh, but he's come in and he's such a fantastic guy. He's calm. He's unflappable. He's brilliant with clients. He's brilliant with teams. He's smart. He's experienced. He's got great energy. And I think he's really taken us up a level, which is everything we hope for. Um, how, why did you court him for so long? What was it about Chris that you thought would kind of add that extra secret sauce to the academy? Because you had a really good, I mean, you had a really good structure already. What, what, why, why did you think Chris would be the man to kind of take that up to the next level? Well, I think we identified the need for a managing director because it, would, it was a, a role that would help us scale and it would enable Dan and I to be less focused on the day-to-day and every single aspect of it and, and look more about the future and growth and making the most of the opportunity we have. So it was never about us getting further away from the business because I don't think we're ever going to do that, but it was more about um, growth and scale. And then I think in honesty, from my point of view, I wanted to bring someone in who, who was different to what we had. Mm. And Chris and I are very different. I think we have the same values for sure but Chris is a very different personality and um, I think it's got many of the strengths that I lack and therefore I think we complement each other well and I think we give up give each other maybe good options Um, but Chris is someone I've known and admired for years and I think when you admire what someone does in a competitor business it's almost the best job interview process you can have because you can see what they're doing in real time and you can see what they're building I used to speak to people that worked or had worked for Chris and the, the, the testimonials that they gave Chris in terms of his leadership style were amazing. So in the end, you just think, wouldn't it be amazing to have those qualities in our business? And luckily for us, he said yes. Yeah, after nearly 20 years at MNC Saatchi and talk as well. So I can, I can see why it took you some time. It didn't. It didn't quite take me twenty years, but it did. It did feel like it at times. It, it was. I think it, it would have been an amazing journey for him there, and obviously lots of legacy and lots of loyalty and love for the business. So it was a big, big decision for him, which we understood, uh, and we gave him the time and the space to make that. Um, tell me what you've. Tell me what the past two years have been like for you guys as a business, and what you've really learned from the pandemic, and how you've kind of grown and changed. It's a big question, Maya. That's a big question. I, I always, I always come up with a big question. <laughs> um, what have we learned? We've learned that whatever you've seen in your career so far uh, doesn't always prepare you for what's ahead. Hmm. Um, we've learned that you have to, in moments of crisis, in moments of uncertainty, you have to show up for people more than ever before. Um, I think. I always think a crisis is an opportunity, certainly in leadership terms. So our teams need, our, our team here needed us more than ever. They needed to hear from us. They needed to see us. They needed the reassurance from us. And I think that's a, a, a comms challenge that we enjoyed stepping up to. So very early on in the pandemic, we were communicating every single day with an update every morning, either from me or from Dan or from a member of the management team about how we're doing as a business, how we're feeling, what's happening today, you know, what, what's, what work is going on, what hires are coming in. Once a month, we would share a very, very honest, open update on the state of the business, 
how we were feeling, how we were looking, how we were tracking from a numbers point of view so that everyone knew where they stood. Um, and I think we just decided to try and metaphorically wrap our arms around the business and all the people in it because we were conscious that lots of our teams didn't have families in London, some didn't have families in the UK. And whilst no one was asking us to be their extended family, I think you have, you have a huge duty of care as a business to provide that kind of hope, positivity, structure, continuity to your team in those moments. And the truth is we were all making it up as we go along. And I've got unbelievable respect for anyone that ran a business in that time, because in whatever sector, in whatever context, it was probably the most challenging time any of us have ever had. But I think in that, in those moments come huge opportunities too. And I, I like to think we made the most of ours. What, what about how your relationships with clients have evolved? Well, I think you always want to see your clients as partners. Uh, I know we always talk about our clients as partners here. And I think in the context of the last couple of years, that's probably been more the case than ever before. So we had incredible gestures from so many of our clients um, about paying us early, about what they could do to, to support us, about how they could um, help us to overcome challenges we had whilst we were helping them to overcome challenges they had. I think we probably grew closer to our clients in those periods of time, if that was even possible, because they were just so supportive, wanted to know how we were doing. The first question that any of those clients would ask was, how are you feeling? How are the team? How's the business doing? And it wasn't asking for any other reason other than they genuinely wanted to know and they genuinely wanted to help. And we tried to take that spirit forward for our suppliers too. So whether it's the news agents around the corner that provide the, the pile of newspapers that we go through every day, or whether it was any of our suppliers, we, we tried to pay it forward. We tried to help them and make sure that we were a good partner for them in the same way that our clients were good partners for us. And I think there was that collective spirit across the country really of people just paying it forward and helping. Uh, and our clients were incredible in that time and they couldn't have been more supportive. Are they, are they still being super supportive or is it back to business as usual? No, they are because I think that's, that's them as people. Mm -hmm. um, and they, they definitely, there's been no change in that. I mean, we are much more business as usual now. Um, but I think if you grow close to people in a difficult time, then your relationship is changed thereafter. And we've probably got the best relationships we've ever had with our clients. And I do think the last couple of years plays a big part in that. I, I completely hear what you said about, you know, your respect for anyone running a business of any any kind over the past two years. It has been particularly challenging and stretching. What do you think the impact's been on you personally as a leader? Have you changed, do you think? Um, that's a great question. You might have to ask other people for their answer. Uh, have I changed? I like to think I've got better as a leader. Now that's always for other people to judge, but I like to think I've got better as a leader in that time. Uh, I've definitely, my learning curve, everyone's learning curve in the last couple of years has been very steep. Um, I've had to, you used the term a couple of minutes ago, which is throwing out the rule book. And I've had to, I've had to tear up the rule book and change so many of the views I had about running a business because of the last couple of years. So I'll give you an example. I was never a huge fan of hybrid working. Um, I was always the person, if someone needed to be, be at home for a day, 
if someone needed to leave early, if someone needed to be somewhere and wanted flexibility, it was never a problem for me. I trust all of my team, but I was someone that liked people to be in as often as possible. I like the office full five days a week. I like the dynamic and the energy of people here under the same roof. Well, pandemic comes along and you have to overnight change your view. And what you do by having to, that, when you're forced to do that, you suddenly discover the benefits of a different way. So I think I'm more open-minded now on everything. I'm more, I've never conducted an interview on Skype or Zoom or any kind of platform before the pandemic, but you quickly get to a point where you realize unless you don't want to recruit anyone for two years, you're going to have to change your rules on that. So I think so, I mean, and, and as a result, we've ended up hiring countless people and only meeting them in real life many months later. It's all completely alien a couple of years ago is now completely normal. So I think I've definitely learned to be more open-minded. I've definitely learned that you can have your values and you can have your approach, which has brought you success, but actually there's always a different way out there. Um, I've definitely in the last couple of years found myself asking more advice from people outside of the business than ever before. Uh, and that might be founders of other businesses. So I'm, I currently sit on a, a WhatsApp group of other business leaders and we, we help each other out and we exchange ideas and we ask people for each other for favors or recommendations. So I think I've lent much more on other, other uh, business leaders um, than, I, than I ever had done before. Certainly advice, uh, that could be advice from my parents. It could be advice from my family. It could be advice from my wife who's a mindfulness coach and has definitely helped me to stay calm and, and to manage my way through it. It could be advice from my, from my team to ask people how they're feeling and what they need and to listen more. So all those examples, I think are ways that I've definitely hope, I hope I've improved. Um, I guess, you know, the time will tell in terms of the year ahead, but they're definitely things I think I've learned. Um, I think particularly for, for male leaders of businesses allowing in that kind of chink of vulnerability has been a very interesting evolution yeah definitely um i think it's probably been a good leveler for all types of leaders i mean i've, I've always tried to lead with emotion and emotional intelligence I, I think that's probably the way i'm wired but i think your your, your point is a brilliantly made one about vulnerability uh, because I think it's okay to admit to your team in a moment of huge stress or um, crisis that you don't have all the answers, that you are worried about the future, that you do have concerns, that you aren't finding it easy. And I think I, I had no trouble doing that because I think I've always tried to lead in that way. But certainly I think that vulnerability uh, was really important in the last couple of years. And maybe that's brought me closer to my team and other people closer to their teams. Because at the end of the day, we're all human. We're all doing our best. And we're all, we all found ourselves in a really tricky position where there was no textbook or manual that helps you out of it. You just have to do your best, work really hard, listen to people and try and make as many good decisions as possible. And I think people could see that. And the more visible that you are, I think the more people can see you trying your hardest. So um, definitely agree with that sentiment. It's required so much resilience, hasn't it, the past couple of years? I mean, 
you know, I'm not sure we are all okay, but the fact we've all kind of just kept going is is kind of miraculous, really. And, and not just surviving, but thriving as well. Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with that. I think uh, it's probably taken more out of some people than they realise. I know that I definitely need a holiday and I'm looking forward to getting away in a couple of months' time. I think missing out on missing out on regular holidays, missing out on, on some of the structures that we all have in our lives to recalibrate and to um, relax and, you know, take time out from the day-to-day. I think missing out on some of those mechanics was probably really difficult. Um, but I think we're all doing brilliantly. I think we all deserve a pat on the back. And I think we're all, um, I think we've all maybe proven something to ourselves about our own levels of resilience. If you can get through the last couple of years, you can get through anything. I think the other thing is, Sometimes, and I can, I can only speak from my point of view, sometimes those more difficult moments, they give you the challenge and the adrenaline to really step up. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's not that I enjoy a pandemic, and I certainly don't enjoy the hard <laughs> times that they bring, just to be clear about that. But I quite enjoy the challenge. I've always been the type of leader that quite enjoys a difficult moment or a challenge or a crisis. I quite like stepping up. Um, and, and, and weirdly in that respect, sometimes when things get back to normal, uh, those moments I think can be more difficult because the adrenaline isn't as, as flowing as fast mm. and it isn't quite that kind of do or die moment. And sometimes the calmer moments after, after a challenge can be challenging in a different way. Yeah, no, I hear you completely. And one of the, one of the challenges that everybody I speak to is talking mm. about is the, is the current kind of talent and hiring market. And then that you know the toughness of getting enough bums on seats to service a, an explosion in new business at the same time as balancing that out with all the uh, being conscious of and responding to you know the necessity of the industry becoming more diverse how do you how do you balance all that out finding finding enough people but the right people it's definitely the hardest part of the job i think it's always been the hardest part of the job i would say that so i, I set mischief up in January 2006. So we're talking a long time ago now. I think it was the hardest part of the job back then. I still think it is now. Um, Made harder by the fact that I think if you're hiring an account exec, so or someone with two years experience or less now, then actually they are the people who through no fault of their own have come into an industry and a career only in a pandemic context. Mm. So you're hiring people that have never known what we would term normal. Uh, I think retaining talent is really difficult because I can only look back at my own career. If someone offered me a job back in the day when I worked at Shine, for example, uh, the answer would have invariably been no. And the reason I would never have left that group of people was because of that group of people. It was because of the connection I had with the people. It was because of the the you know, the culture of the company, you know, the, the office environment five days a week, you would not have got me out of that, that environment in a million years. Now, fast forward, and if people are working from home and they've felt disconnected for the last 18 months and someone offers you another job, suddenly your decision-making process is completely different because you're not looking at the people, you're just looking at the job. And the job without the people is very transactional. And I think, therefore, to retain talent off the back of the last couple of years is really difficult. So it's not difficult. I don't think it's difficult recruiting. I think it's difficult retaining because everyone's got the same challenge. 
Um, but I've learned over the years that you're better not hiring than hiring the wrong people and panic hiring and just bringing numbers in never serves you well. So we, we work really hard at recruitment here and lots of us were involved in it. And it does take up a huge amount of time, probably a disproportionate amount of time. But ultimately, you're building a people business. And if you're, if you're building a people business, then you almost can't spend long enough selecting, recruiting and hiring those people because it is your entire business. If you if you were a manufacturer and you had a factory, you'd spend a lot of time making sure the machines in the factory were the right machines. Here we we build a, a business around human beings and their emotions and their ambitions and their aspirations. And to understand all those things and to bring together the right people is everything. And if you get that bit right, the job is much easier. So it is hard, but it should be hard. Um, and how conscious are you of, um, of growing a diverse workforce? Do you have commitments in that regard? Very, very conscious of it. Um, probably less conscious because of a pressure I feel to do it. So I don't feel the pressure of award entries. Um, I don't feel the pressure of clients asking me about numbers or data. But I do feel the pressure of building a diverse business because my belief is that a diverse business does the best work and is the best way of solving client problems and is the best way of building the best agency in the country because people who think differently from different backgrounds, from different schools of thought mm. come together and collaborate to create the best work. So if you, if you set up a creative agency and your aspiration is to be the best, to do the best work, it, it, it stands to reason that the people you bring together have to reflect that and have to give you the best chance and your clients the best chance of winning. Mm. So I'm very committed to building that culture here but because I want genuinely believe it's the best pathway to do the best work. Uh, yeah, no, I'm totally with you on that. Do you think your own background has informed that thinking at all? Mm -hmm. um, my own background. What in what way? What do you mean? Well, I mean, are you are you building a business that looks like you, or are you conscious of building <clears throat> a business that doesn't look like you? I think a bit of both. I think I'm building a business like any business leader or any founder. Uh, Dan and I are building a business together in our own values. Because I think if you are an owner-led business, you, you have to reflect your values in that business. And you have to, you have to, you know, you have to bring that to the, the party every day. Um, but equally, I'm I'm resisting any temptation to fill up the business with people like me or people like Dan, because I think you end up in an echo chamber where everyone thinks the same, does the same, and is from a similar background. And that's everything that doesn't work on any level um, for the type of business we're trying to build. Mm. So we work really hard as a business to reach out through as many channels as possible to bring in the most diverse and representative talent we can find. And at the end of the day, if you default to your own channels, if I default to who I'm linked in with or who Dan is linked in with or who we've worked with previously, then the danger is you do end up in, in too narrow a field and you end up with a company that look a bit like you, that sound a bit like you, that are uh, too much of a direct reflection of you. And I think that's always a mistake. So 
I think you have to step out of your comfort zone. You have to work a bit harder and you have to step out of your own network and your own experience if you want to achieve the company that you believe you should have. Um, yeah, well said. I mean, you mentioned that you, you and Dan are still, um, it's still an owner-led business at the Academy. I know you're very proud of what you've both achieved. And I also know you're really ambitious. So do you have any thoughts on future acquisitions or the sale of the business? What's, what's next? Very ambitious. Um, I think and I think you'd have to carry Dan and I out of the building before we'd stop being ambitious. I think that would be that would never happen. Um, funnily enough, a, a question I'm often asked when I interview people, especially at a senior level. So if I'm interviewing a director, one of the most common questions will be that they'll ask me about whether I plan to sell the business in the future. Um, I guess I'll look at what happened with mischief and the track record we Dan and I have together and they'll wonder if it's part of the plan and the honest answer is I could never I could never promise something that I can't guarantee in other words I'll never rule it out but we genuinely don't think about um, selling our business to anyone anytime soon what we do think about is building a business so good that someone would want to buy it one day and which are two very different things we have no desire to sell but we have every desire to be the company people would want to buy uh, and to do that you have to do the best work you have to have the best team you have to have the best numbers you have to have the best culture you have to have the best office environment you have to have the best employer benefits all of those things you have to have the best client portfolio and they are the things that ultimately may or may not lead to a deal in the future and that will look after itself. The only bit you can focus on is building the best company. So that's, that's the ambition every day. In terms of acquisition, um, absolutely in our thoughts. Um, growth is our focus. I think hiring Chris enables Dan and I to scale and to put more of our time and energy into growing the business. And actually, that's, that's been borne out already in the first year or so that Chris has been here. Last year was a record year. We grew a fair amount and we're hoping that we do the same again this year, if not more. Um, so growth is very much part of our ambition. Acquisition is always uh, uh, an option within that. It's not something we've done a huge amount of previously, but certainly something that's on our horizon for the year ahead. Okay, watch this space. You know where I am. Um, <laughs> with, it, with the news. Um, just, just finally, Mitch, well, I mean, I think... Well, I'm certainly hoping to get back to for can this real for real this year for the Festival of Creativity, and I think it's going to be really interesting, in particular, to see what the work looks like globally after the past two years. I mean, you you guys are super creative. How do you think creativity has evolved over the pandemic? What does real award winning work look like now? Um, great question. I think that I think it's been harder to put out work in the last couple of years than ever before which in a way has played to our strengths because it means the more creative you are, the more your creative ambition and your creative firepower is, uh, the better. Um, we've got brilliant creative talent here. Uh, we've obviously got Dan as a co-founder, which I guess frames the type of business we want to be. When your co-founder is, is a creative like Dan, then that's a statement of intent. Uh, we've got a guy called Neil Broderick, who is someone, is the only person Dan and I have ever hired twice. <laughs> Neil, we hired at, Mis at Mischief and we hired him again at the Academy. Neil is one of the most 
fantastic, talented people we've ever met or worked with in our careers. Neil is a creative director here who puts out work prolifically. Uh, we hired a guy called Donald recently, who's our, <clears throat> he's our new uh, ECD. Uh, Donald and Dan worked together many, many years ago, um, long before I met Dan, and they, and they kind of reconnected now. And we've, done, we've, we've hired Donald uh, to help us scale from a creative point of view and to complement the work that Neil does already. And I think Dan's view, and certainly my view, would be that you can never have enough creative talent in your business so that the work you do is always evolving, is always improving, but also, I think, work that works. And the one thing that's been more important than ever in the last couple of years is that the type of work that can indulge the creative world and indulge the award ceremonies, but doesn't always work as hard for the clients, I think is less appealing than ever before. And work that actually works, work that does such, first and foremost, work that does a, you know, a really, really strong job for the client who's paid for that work, I think that's the premium. That's always the work we've tried to focus on. Uh, the Academy has always been about work that works. And if it wins an award, great. But if it doesn't, the real prize is that the client backs it and sees the benefit from it. Mm. So I think, I think pragmatic, creatively effective work is the currency. And I think uh, hiring and investing in creativity from a talent point of view, as we've done here, is the only way to achieve that. Okay. Well, I look forward to all your Sabre entries and looking what you've been up to over the past year. Um, uh, also, I wonder how uh, scandalous that WhatsApp group of agency leaders is, probably less so than the current government's WhatsApp groups, I would imagine. Um, well, I mean, I think I'm, I'm not sure I've been invited to the really interesting group because it tends to be more about suppliers. Uh, anyone know the name of a good solicitor? Anyone know the <laughs> name of a good um, supplier in this area? How much are you paying your rent? How much are you paying for this? How much are you paying for that? I think we all tend to depress each other with how much or how little we're paying for stuff. But in, in, in honesty, it's been, a, it's been a godsend in the last year or two just to have, you know, other like-minded people with the same challenges and the same stresses um, going through the same thing so it's been really nice from that point of view yeah that industry collaboration has been really notable I mean it's the London scene has always been pretty close but I think it's uh, it's been wonderful to see how much everyone's supported each other over the past couple of years it's you know it, war it warms the cockles Mitch and um, thank you so much for joining me today it's been a really great chat lovely to kind of regroup hear what you're up to and have a, a proper catch-up about what's going on in the academy it sounds like you've kind of We've more, you know, more than come out the other side of the past couple of years and onwards. Absolute pleasure. Thank you as ever for having me. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Provoke podcast brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.